Good morning, church. How are you guys doing today? Doing good? Well, I hope you thoroughly enjoyed, if you were here last week, I hope you enjoyed our Christmas program as we looked uh, at Jesus uh, through the, the lens of worship. We looked at him in the way we worship him. Now, I don't know about you, but I especially love to see children using their God-given talents to bring others to Jesus. It's through the display of those talents that we should be reminded and motivated to do the same when we see kids that are up and willing to speak about Jesus in his name. We were designed to use the things that we love to do, not only to honor God, but to show others his love. And in many ways, this is a strong reminder of what we have learned just a couple of weeks ago as we've been working through Colossians chapter 3. In our sermon on the 4th, Paul instructed us to be wise in the things that we do, to put off some of the old actions and attitudes, and to put on the attitudes and actions of Jesus Christ as we follow him to display his likeness in all that we do. Now, Paul had used the idea of clothing, and well, let's face it, we all choose to put on the clothes, especially on Sunday. You probably fuss around and decide what you want to put on. But when it gets cold, especially as it's been getting colder, we start to layer up. We put on more than one layer of clothing. And this is what Paul was saying. He says, don't just have a nice smile, but put on more. Put on gentleness and kindness and put on patience and self-control. Layer up with what you are putting on in your Christ-like attitude and so much more. It's not just enough to have one of these qualities, but Paul encourages us to have the Spirit of God and let him have his work in us and through us to let us slowly display all of them. Now, I'm going to be honest. Some of you guys are going to be really good at displaying some of these qualities, much better than I. And other times, I'm just really not going to be great at displaying some of the qualities. We are each designed to display these qualities at a different level. And that's okay. God designed us differently for the different things that he had in mind for us. We each have different strengths and weaknesses. But we're all being asked to do the same work towards the same goals. Our memory verse actually reminds us of this very thing. So we can say it together. I'll put it on the screen. It says, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. That's Colossians 4, 5, and 6. This is the season that we're constantly presented with the opportunity to say the name Christ. It's the season where we set aside our normal everyday music and we tune into stations, both secular uh, and Christians, that they, they sing news of the Savior's birth. As much as the world wants to deny Christ, I've always found it interesting that they sing of his birth every single year. While you will find that those who don't believe Jesus can sing about his name and put it to a good melody, there's something about listening to believers who believe in Jesus to sing about him. There's something that I love to hear. And there's a sincerity in their song when you're listening to believers sing about Jesus. And that's actually why our title today is The Sincerity of Our Hearts. Yes, it looks like a Valentine's slide. I was made aware of this by my wife. Don't worry, it has a Christmas undertone. Today we're going to be covering three different points of what we dwell upon, our family portrait. Uh, anybody else have family portraits done during this season? They probably, some of you did, yes. We'll talk about that. And then finally, servanthood. So our first one is what we dwell upon. Now, a couple of weeks back, I had mentioned the idea that we are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. What consumes your mind regularly will undoubtedly show up in your actions and in your conversations. 
Now, I just mentioned listening to Christmas music during the season, and I want to take a poll. Anybody here listen to Christmas music only during the Christmas season? Anybody like a, I will only listen to it? Anybody listen to it all year long whenever it comes up? Okay, we got a couple of different people. I, I like to ask different people because everybody always has a fairly strong reaction. Like, you, you cannot listen to Christmas music unless it's after Thanksgiving and around Christmas. And then there are other people that are saying, well, it's announcing Jesus coming to the earth, so we can listen to it any time of the year. So we're, we're good with that. It's always funny to hear the different uh, versions of what people say. Paul has some very interesting insights on this very topic about celebrating the birth of our Savior. Now, if you want to, uh, you can open your Bibles. You will need them. I'm going to have a couple of references today. Some of the words will be on the screen, but we'll be in Colossians chapter 3 as we've been working through Colossians. Uh, this will be just a reference, so you'll have to have your Bible open. I will read it, and then some of the references will also be on the screen as normal. I'll let you find your place. I'll give you just a second. Okay, I'm reading out of the New King James, as usual. Uh, it says in Colossians 3.16, these words. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Here's an honest moment. Anyone here ever struggle when it comes to memorizing scripture? Anybody here ever struggled? I've struggled in the past. There have been times when I've really wanted to commit God's word to memory, and I just, for, the, for lack of being able to, I just, I find myself wanting. And this verse, Paul points out some very good reasons why we should be trying to memorize scripture, and specifically uh, because it will give us wisdom. By obtaining wisdom, we'll know what to do when the moment comes, Let's face it, if your life is anything like mine, you've probably had a situation or two where you're like, I wish I knew that verse, I wish I knew that verse. And it's just such a wonderful thing when we do know it and we have it there. Paul shows us that there's more ways to help us to remember scripture than just sitting there and trying to look at a page and committing those words to memory. In those days, in his day and age, most believers wouldn't have been able to read in fact, actually, very few would have been able to read. Also, in his day and age, what you might not remember is that they also didn't have many copies of the Word of God. In fact, actually, even if most people wanted to be able to read it, most of them had access to it. You see, the printing press wasn't invented until 1439, over 1400 years later, after Paul had written this. Everything had to be handwritten. This means that every single copy of the Bible that they could get their hands on to be able to read, every time they'd look for the scriptures, they had to go to a synagogue, a Jewish synagogue. Now, I said the word synagogue and not church. And at that time, the Jewish people were not happy with the Christians because they were following Christ. And they said, well, the Christ hasn't come. So there was animosity between the Jews and the Christians. So that meant listening to God's word, you had to figure out a way to get into a Jewish synagogue at best. So it was difficult to get around a copy of God's word. And so Paul says, you know what? There are ways that we can try to commit this to memory if we don't have it in our hands all day long. Now, Paul answers his dilemma and he says these words. He says in the end of that verse, 
teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And Paul says that we should be teaching each other through the recitation of psalms, of hymns and spiritual songs. Now, when I was a kid, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. Both my father and my stepfather had construction-related jobs, so I ultimately, eventually, would find myself uh, swinging a hammer with them on a Saturday here or there doing something, and they would have the radio, and we would be listening to 1980s uh, heavy rock. So I, I've got a lot of classic rock, as they call it now. It, you feel old when they start putting classic in front of the music you grew up with. Um, just saying. Um, but anyways, uh, I, I haven't heard most of those songs in 20 years, but when I hear those songs, I can still sing along with every single lyric. You ever notice that? You can, you can listen to a song and you, you know those lyrics by heart, even though you never thought about memorizing them and putting them to memory. There's a power in a song as a nation, the Israelites kind of realized this. And often they would use this song by parents. They would teach their children the scripture. Now, they didn't have long car rides. They had to walk everywhere. Thankfully, we get to, to have our car rides. I just watched a buggy actually go by. But they had to walk everywhere. There was no radio playing. So partly they did this to distract their kids because if you've ever had your kids on a long car ride, you want to distract them. But partly they also did this to teach them. So they taught them Psalms. And if you've ever been in the book of Psalms, uh, which is a compilation of many Psalms, you'll notice that sometimes it says to the choir master. Many of the Psalms later on were put to, uh, to song, to instrument and to be sung. So next time you're in the car listening to your radio station, listen to the lyrics and ask yourself, what does this say? Does this promote the life that I want to lead? Does this direct my mind towards Christ or away from him? Paul continues on in verse 17, and he says, And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul reminds us that if we're going to live our lives for Christ, that everything that we do, even something as trivial as what we choose to allow to entertain ourselves, should be done to his glory with him in mind. Okay, so point two today is our family portrait. Now, Christmas always seems to be the time of year that our family gets our family portrait done. Family photos are one of those things that I really love the end product. I just despise the process. I, I just really, I, I don't look forward to them. I, I love the picture. I just, if you've ever tried to get young children to sit down and smile all at the same time and not blink at the same time, and you don't, you don't want the cheesy smile. I mean, you tell the kid to smile, and the rest of the year, they've got a beautiful smile, and then when you force them, they're like, I'm like, what kind of smile? I don't know. You're not trying to kill somebody. You're trying to smile for your relatives. Everybody's going to see this picture. You have to fight to get everybody dressed up. You have to fight to get everybody in matching clothes. You struggle to get everybody to smile at the same time. And what we send to our friends and family is one one-hundredth of a second of hopefully everybody smiling at the same time. One little snapshot. And I ran across a quote a long time ago that a father was giving to his son. He said, you never see the hard days in a photo album, but those are the ones that get you from one happy snapshot to the next. Family is not always the easiest place to be. And sometimes I think the people that stress us out the most, they be family. However, it's the family unit that God has designed us to have the bedrock of our society. 
It's within our homes that our future is being shaped. It's being molded and decided. And Paul seemed to know all too well the importance of this unit and what happens behind those closed doors. Now, the Spirit is moving him to write, and he says something to each of the family members. Now, I'm going to give you a word of warning before we move forward. He's going to step on everyone's toes today. So just, just, you know, if you feel offended, don't worry. He's trying to offend absolutely everybody. So he says something equally to everybody. And he starts off, wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. In our society, if it's, if it's going to buck against anything in Scripture, this is the place right here. It's all too often that the Bible is accused of being sexist, being a book that puts down women. Those who are quick to say this have clearly never read the entire word of God through and considered it. As it goes against the culture of the day and constantly both uplifts and empowers women, there are going to be those who say that the word of God only is culturally applicable. Let me say that from the offset, should you go down the road where you're starting to say that things are only culturally applicable, you're going to slowly decide that everything that you don't like in Scripture is culturally applicable and thus doesn't apply to you, even your own sin. Be careful of that road. It's important to recognize that there's a very important qualifier that Paul puts in this very verse. He says, as is fitting in the Lord. Paul is saying that submission by a wife should be given to her husband who is displaying the qualities of a God-directed man as he leads his family the way Christ would. We all know what happens when there are too many chiefs in the room. Remember that Jesus Christ is 100% God. He's 100% equal with the Father. Yet, in the garden, he submitted to the Father's plan. Just before he goes to the cross, he says, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is our example as submission shows not only love, but also trust. So next, Paul says these words. He says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. I recently was listening to a message by a man that said that bitterness towards your spouse is worse than anger. Bitterness is worse than anger. He said that bitterness was worse than anger because not only did it attempt to give you a morally superior high ground, but also it was harder to pin down the root of the bitterness, becoming much harder to get rid of. Bitterness builds up when we don't have a clear vision of understanding in our relationship. In the book of Ephesians, Paul actually expands on this very statement that he says here, And he says these words, he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Men, we are called to love our wives in such a way that we are willing to lay our lives down for them. Just as submission is directed back at what Jesus has done for us, love is as well. Unfortunately, as husbands, we can get in this rut where we think love is just providing for our families financially. We think that's all we need to do. We work our hands to the bone to provide for our families And we think we're fine. And I know this because I've been there. I've worked the 16-hour days, six days a week, back to back for months on end, thinking I was sacrificing my time with my family for my family's sake. And unfortunately, it's this very thought that has led to the destruction of so many marriages. Our wives need so much more from us than our finances. They need our companionship. This is why so many who have wealthy lives have marriages that are so short. Think about it. If money solved all of the problems in the world, why do the rich and famous have such short marriages? Husbands, love your wives. Love them by being there for them. Understand their needs and provide for them. Next, Paul addresses the kids. 
He says, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Kids, this is probably not always the easiest verse to follow, is it? Anyone here ever struggle with their parents? I can raise my hands. I struggled with my parents. When I was a teenager, uh, there was a couple of times I got in some arguments. At one point or another, I think we all struggle with our parents and following them. When we compare Paul's words here in Colossians to what is said in Deuteronomy, we can find something interesting. He says, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son, which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, all the many, uh, men of the city shall stone him with stones that he die. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah, you read that. Um, you can read the whole set of verses there in Deuteronomy 21, but that's a summary of the paragraph. If the child is disobedient and they don't change their ways, they were actually supposed to be stoned to death. Uh, that was the directive. So, that seems a bit serious, doesn't it? Like, why would you go there? Why, why would this be in God's word? You ever wonder about things like this? Especially against a child? I mean, really? I think there's twofold reason here. Number one, it scares the parents enough to say, you know what, if you don't put time and effort into raising your child right, this could be the outcome. And it's your responsibility as a parent to make sure you're raising your child. So it scares the parent. Number one. Also, ultimately it teaches that if someone is unteachable, they will inevitably destroy not only their life, but also the lives of those around them. If someone is unteachable, they don't only destroy their life, they destroy the lives of those around them. See, God experiences, uh, he expects obedience from each and every single one of us as his children. He expects for us to have teachable spirits. After all, can you come to saving faith in Christ if you don't first admit that you're the one in the wrong and that God is right? No, you can't. To become a Christ follower, we have to be able to humble ourselves and to admit when we are wrong. We have to be able to do that. We have to become obedient. To take responsibility. After all, what does a society look like when no one takes responsibility? What does a society look like when no one is willing to admit fault? The final part of this section is given to the fathers. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. As fathers, we like to chide with our children. I like to, I like to poke. I like to have fun with my boys. But if we're not careful, we can destroy our child's spirit. What's interesting to me is that God wants to be our heavenly father. Okay, he wants to be our heavenly father. Jesus Christ says, call him father in heaven. He is, if you are a Christ follower. And this actually teaches us a lot about God's character. He doesn't expect something out of us that he's not willing to do himself first. Which means that God allows into your life things not on purpose to frustrate you, but to build you up. God, God does not allow things in your life to frustrate you. He doesn't allow hard things in your path just to make fun of you. He doesn't put hoops in front of you just to watch you jump through them, though it can feel that way at times. If you've ever felt like, God, why are you putting this in front of me? Are you just, are you just trying to make fun of me? Are you just trying to make my life worse? God expects us to act in a way that he will act himself. And he won't sit there and try to frustrate you, to make fun of you. He wants to build you up. He only allows things into our paths that can actually make us more like his son, Jesus Christ, and put us towards the path of more godly character. He cares too much for you. He doesn't want to make fun of you. 
Did you notice that between all four of those instructions, there's a very clear and consistent theme? He said husbands and wives, children and fathers, and everything was said in a clear direction to each of us that no matter what our role is inside the family, we're to look outside ourselves and become servants of others, of those around us. And that's why our final point is servanthood, because that's really what that was about. If we look at these instructions, submitting, loving, obeying, caring, each of these point toward a lifestyle of service, which makes much clearer the decision of Paul and where he goes in the next verses. We can read them together. I'll put the reference on the screen, but we'll have to read them in our Bibles. Chapter 3, verses 22 through 23. He says, Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. So bond servant. Slavery is kind of a term we look down upon here in America. Interestingly enough, while slavery is clearly mentioned in the Bible, it never condemns it, never really deals with it, just kind of mentions it as a fact of life at the time. Now, there's a difference between a slave and a bondservant, and you might want to be aware of that. A slave has labor forced upon them. They are forced into their, their work and their lifestyle. They have no rights. So when you think of the term slave, this is what the, the Bible is talking about. However, under Israeli law in the book of Exodus, it allowed a slave to become a bondservant voluntarily. Essentially, if a surgeon said, um, I love working for my master, I love this home, he treats me well, I want to continue serving him, the master would then have to take the slave over to the judges in the town, uh, and the judges would uh, confirm this, that this was actually the slave's actual desire, and they would pierce his ear with an awl, yes, an awl, like... Uh, anyways, and then give him an earring. And the slave would actually wear around an earring and he would actually be a willing slave for the rest of his life in that household. A bond servant is a willing slave. And this actually makes more sense even in Paul's own words when he wrote in the book of Romans chapter one, verses one, Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle separated to the gospel of God. Now, the question is, why would you want to become a willing slave? I mean, slavery always sounds bad, right? And someone else's service? Well, there's a lot of reasons. Paul recognized that he was once dead in sin and that while he was a sinner, he was a slave to that very sin. Before coming to Christ, he reasoned that everything he could do was still sin because everything he tried to make himself look good was ultimately glorifying himself and not God. He was still in sin, However, once Christ found Paul, Paul died to sin. Now he served God, the one who had set him free. So no matter our position, no matter where we find ourselves serving, whether in capacity or another, Paul's words remind us that we should be serving God through the service towards other people. That's why in verse 23, Paul ended with, whatever you do, do it as to the Lord and not to men. He says our reasoning, our purpose after coming to Christ should change, that we should become servants to all, whether that's our spouses, whether that's our children, our, our bosses. We should serve them willingly in such a way that it brings honor and glory to Christ through our actions. Ultimately, Paul ends the chapter by saying that God is watching and he will reward you one day for all of your work. It also comes with a warning, interestingly enough. Uh, and this is the last verse that we'll cover. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. 
The warning here is that we should be mindful of our actions. Even though we as men and women have chosen to follow Christ, it does not exempt us from the consequences of bad choices. He says God is not impartial toward, uh, he's not partial towards us. He doesn't have favorites. God doesn't treat you better than other people because you're his child. He treats you equally with the rest of them. We've looked at Paul's instructions today, members for each family, how ultimately we are to become servants of one another and to, that's really what it's about, about serving one another, to become like Christ who first served us. So today I'm gonna close with two questions. Number one, are you regularly immersing yourself in God's word? Are you regularly immersing yourself in God's word? While we should be in the Bible regularly, nothing can take its place. We should also be willing to listen to his word through song. A good litmus test in our lives is to listen to our favorite radio station and then listen to the word. So you guys are all probably, I don't think anybody walked here except for my family, so you're gonna get in the car. When you turn on the car, most likely the radio or the CD will start playing. Listen to the words. Do they direct you towards God or away from him? Do they match the lifestyle you want to live? Second question is, who in your life could you work on becoming a better servant toward? Jesus modeled for us servanthood, as we're each to be serving others in our life from one degree or another. But we could always be serving somebody else better. We could always be working on that. Now, I don't know who. Maybe you don't know either. But you can always ask God to lead you to the next person that you could serve to show them his love, because he loves you. He died for you. He came to the earth to serve us. We just repay that favor by passing it forward. Let's close in prayer. Father, I do thank you so much for your word and your instruction. I thank you for the love that you pour out in its pages. I thank you for being a model to us that we can follow. Father, I thank you for for coming and serving us and even being willing to serve the will of the Father even though you are 100% equal. God, I ask that you direct right now in each of our lives, help us to, to align our lives, both our actions and our words. Help us to be whole as we serve you. Father, help us to serve others. Lord, I, if, if we don't have someone that we're currently purposely serving, Lord, put them on our hearts this season, especially this time of year when it can get so lonely if you're not around friends and family. Father, help us to step out of our comfort zone and become servants the same way that you did. In Jesus' name, amen. Mr. Mike? Hey, this is Pastor Jake. I just wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to these messages that we put online. I do pray that these are helpful for the times you just can't be with us in person. I want to remind you that this recording is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be in a community of faith where the word of God is being preached and proclaimed. We are told by scripture to gather together so that we each belong to a local body of believers where we are being shaped by being known by using each of our gifts and walking faithfully in God's word. So thank you again so much for listening and growing with us. I hope you enjoyed today's message.